Podcast. For more information, go to newmachurch.uk where you can find more wills. I've never been given that welcome. Have a great week Um, and remember your love. I'm not sure how I feel about it. You'll like this. I got this email this week. Um, It's from Oxford Energy. It says, Hi, as with all our cutting-edge smart tariffs, sometimes things can go a bit, well, wrong. Your contract with us was recently coming up for renewal and we were supposed to send an email notifying you of the new rates, but instead we didn't. Sorry about that. Your account was one of a handful affected and nothing else other than the renewal dates was impacted. Because we didn't didn't notify you in advance, your rates aren't going to increase. We'll keep them where they are for another 12 months. Thanks for continuing to trial tariffs like Octopus Go. While there may be bumps along the way, together we're demonstrating what the energy system of the future should be. Love and power, the Octopus Energy Team. In brackets... And God. Uh, just a little something for you, Chris. And then I opened up, literally two emails later, I opened up my car renewal. My car tax has gone, my car insurance has gone down 40 quid. Mental, I know. Um, so it's, it's brilliant, love it. Anyway, hope you're all doing okay. Good. <laughs> so I'm going to fly through some of these opening slides that are going to come up. As you know, we're on our culture adventure. It has begun. We're probably not going to finish until mm, sometime probably next February, somewhere around there, with a few interjections. So hopefully, I didn't bring it up with me, hopefully a number of you have got the culture journal. If you haven't, they're available at the back. But this here, culture, the, the culture is the environment that we curate, we sift it, we, we care for it, we tend to it, we shape it. Because we want to nurture specific things. We want to see certain things happen. And if we want to see those certain things happen, you have to do certain things to get those certain things to happen. Just think greenhouse. If you want certain plants to grow, you have to put them in certain conditions to see them grow. That's what we're doing with the culture. Now, next slide is this. We have... No, not that one. Sorry, my bad. There we go. I've got one in the gap. Have you not got one in the gap? Um, I want the one that's got the QR code on it, please. Wow, that's weird. Okay, not in the same order on my iPad, but that's all good. Um, And in order to help us work through this, we think this culture adventure is better done with others. So we have set up a number of culture groups. uh, And if you are interested in being part of one, many of them meet just for an hour once every three weeks, something like that. I have my, um, my first one on Tuesday at 7 p.m. Yeah, 7 p.m. online. So if you're interested in getting with a group to go on this adventure together, then I would really encourage you to either quickly scan that code or speak to Chris Tatton at the end or head to the table at the back. Brilliant. So as you know, hopefully you know, we have 11 key culture statements. God is good. We live in God's presence. God is always working. God has a plan for our lives. God has placed us to bring life where we are. Numa Church is family. We look to love people well. All are invited. God's word is powerful in changing lives. We celebrate risk as we pursue the impossible. And faith is relationship, not religious ritual. Now, we are spending two weeks from the front on each of these. And the idea is that we go through this adventure together. So you have a journal, ideally. Um, 
And ideally, again, if you want to just get with some other people, even if you don't want to create a formal group, we're not fussed, it's okay. Um, but we're all going to go through this together. So this is week two, the final week of God is good. It isn't the final week that God is good, but it's definitely the final week of looking at God is good. So here are the full set of statements that come under God is good. And um, I love what Chris did last week, so I'm going to nick his idea and we're going to do it again. So I'd love it if we could stand and, like, say these. Is that all right? Yeah, like, stand, like, we speak these things out. When, there's, a thing in, there's a thing, particularly in our culture, that when we say important things, we stand to declare them. You, you, would, you wouldn't ever really imagine that you would sit to declare your marriage vows you know, on a chaise long or something. Yes, oh, yes, I take you to be my whatever. Uh, so we're going to declare these. Okay, here we go. We don't need to say God is good. We know that bit. 1A, we believe God is a good father and that we can trust him in every situation regardless of our circumstances. We believe that God's goodness is displayed in his abundant and unconditional love for us and the extravagant grace and compassion that he lavishes on us. We challenge anything we see or hear that doesn't line up with our understanding of God as a good father. Very good. Very good. Do take a seat. Now, God is good is number one. It was never going to shift from being number one. When we began to try to articulate our culture. We, the very first time we started by getting um, the key leaders together, I think they were keys at the point, might have been clusters, but anyway, the main leaders together, and we said, write down, what, is it, what does it mean to be in this family, in this church? What, what do we stand for? What are the things that we really value? Number one, God is good. That's it. Easy. And it's never shifted from the number one position. Now, what I want to show you is this. This is, my, um, this is my camera. You don't have to know much about cameras particularly to know that obviously this is, the, this is what's called the body of the camera. And this is, as you will all know, this is, the, this is the lens, this part here. Now, unless you've got a broken camera, there should be no light that enters the camera unless it comes through the lens. All light is supposed to come through the lens, and obviously it hits either the film or sensor, depending on what type of uh, um, camera you have. Now, I can change this lens. I've got um, two other lenses. I don't know whether Greg's still here. He's probably got about 50. But, um, um, but anyway, so I've got, um, I've got a little lens here. This, is, this does actually zoom out slightly as well. And then I've got my favorite lens, which is a little bit limited, but it does create such a, a glorious image. So the thing is, therefore, I have lenses through which I can let light into the camera, and they all do a different job. This one particularly I love because it's so crystal clear on portraits, like uh, taking a photo of a person. It does a very different job to this one, which I tend to use for much more of a wide angle. The point is, as light comes through, by the time it reaches the sensor, it has been shaped by what the lens is. It is I agree, it's really clever. 
I'm so glad you agree because I bothered to carry my camera in this morning <laughs> just to make that point. So the point that we're getting to is this. God is good is my only lens. And I have wrestled, had wrestled for years over what God seems a bit fickle to me at times. God can be seemingly quite judgmental at times. God can be all kinds of things at times. But I have let it absolutely settle in my heart that no matter what is going on, my God is good lens is the lens through which I view everything. It doesn't matter where I point my camera. I can point it at suffering. I can point it at the worship like it was this morning. I can point it at the email that I got this week. I can point it at the Ukrainian conflict. I can paint it at anything, and I will see through the lens that God is good. It doesn't mean everything that's happening is good, but it does mean I never question God is good. So I can see the Ukrainian conflict. Well, in that case, what on earth is God doing? Was he just sat up there watching it all happen? God is good. It's absolutely established for me and won't change. Yeah, that's the point I just made. Look at that. I even had a slide for it and everything. I cannot be persuaded that God is not good. I put in my notes, that ship has sailed. So, other people look through other lenses to see God. And I've looked through other lenses. So, this is, this is not in any sense criticism. You've got um, a lot of people consider God to be quite judgy, probably because the church is. But anyway, that's what a number of people see. But Mike Bickle, uh, his, not 24-7 prayer, what's it called? Help me out. Thank you, IHOP, yes, IHOP. Um, He says this, all of God's judgments are aimed at whatever interferes with love. That's where God's judgments are. He knows God's love, so he's viewing it through that God is love lens. God, some people view God through the lens of, well, he's, honestly, to be honest, you have to catch him in the right mood. I mean, you can ask him some things one day and he says yes, and then you ask him another day and he just seems to say no. And um, obviously there are parts of Christianity that like to go through Mary because they think that Jesus will be the soft touch by going through his mother um, and some of these crazy things. Some people believe God has favorites. I mean, the Bible clearly says God doesn't, but it doesn't mean that we don't think God has favorites. Oh, it's all right for them. Oh, they always get an email from Octopus. I've never had an email from Octopus. But anyway, you know, that thing. Oh, it's all right for them. Look at them, yeah. There are people who look through the lens of, I I accept that God loves me, but he only loves me because he has to, because he's God, so he hasn't really got much choice. He doesn't really like me, but God does at least love me. Yes, I grant you that. And then, obviously, some people view God through the lens of mighty smiter, Evan Almighty. He sees God, oh, smite me, you mighty smiter. For anyone who has seen that film, if you haven't seen that film, that's why you're all just staring at me. You need to go and watch the film, everybody. Evan Almighty, and at one point he says, oh, smite me, you mighty smiter. Um, But there is, for me, and I would love to encourage for you, if you're not there, to get to the place in your life where there is only one 
lens that you look through, and that is God is good. So what I'm now going to do is whiz through some of the objections that people have that means I can't see God through this lens because of where I keep pointing this lens, and I cannot possibly understand that God is good because of or because of. And these are the three things we're going to quickly look at this morning. I cannot really believe that God is good because I've read the Old Testament or I've read bits of it. I cannot believe that God is good because I see so much suffering. And I cannot believe that God is good because my prayers just seem to bounce off the ceiling and come straight back down. So let's tackle Old Testament first. This will be the quickest. Can I ask, first of all, anyone in here has read any parts of the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, with which they would say, I've, I struggle with some of that. Or at some point you've struggled with it, or like, wow, how many have just died? Okay, yeah, right. If you're, if you're waiting for an answer that will immediately scratch where you itch. You may come away slightly disappointed, but I am going to do my best. So there's a couple of things that we need to understand. One of the things that is really crucial is to get a grasp of what the purpose of the Old Testament is. And it might surprise you to know that the Old Testament, its purpose is centered around someone who doesn't come in until the New Testament. And so the whole function and purpose of the Old Testament is to point us to Jesus. That is why we sometimes see such a contrast. There was this intertestamental period between Old and New Testament. Um, 39 books in the Old, 27 in the New, etc. And this gap down the middle where God just seems to flip from being one way to being another way. You can read it like that. But there are a few things that needed to happen in this period of time from the garden. And yes, I am one of those people who believes, why would it not be a garden? Why would there not have been an Adam and an Eve? And then people get into discussions about belly buttons and just weird stuff. Like, you, I think, honestly, you're missing the point. Anyway, there's a few things that needed to happen in the Old Testament. One is this. Mankind <clears throat> needed to see and understand how severe sin is. The Old Testament shows it really well. We needed to see and understand how severe sin is. When I say severe, how damaging it is to our relationship with God. It breaks his heart. He hates sin, not because he's a judgy God or a smitey God, but because it interferes with love. Mankind also needed to see uh, how hopeless our state is without him. Mankind also needed to see and understand how desperately we need a saviour. We need saving. We need rescuing. I think there's another thing the Old Testament shows as well, which is the kindness of God in making a plan From the moment that Adam and Eve made the decision to do things their way, God had already fashioned a plan. 
He says, I'm going to redeem this situation and I'm going to get it back. And I'm going to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. I'm going to come back to that theme a little bit later on. So all the law and the prophets point to Jesus. All the law, when I say law, it's like small l uh, in the Old Testament. All the commands which formed part of the law, the commands and customs, all point to Jesus. And you, honestly, you could do a, a teaching series on that that would last a year. It's enormous. How, when you see the Old Testament through Jesus' eyes, through the Jesus kind of lens, if you like, you see, oh my word, even that points to Jesus. Another thing to understand from the Old Testament is this. Jesus is perfect theology. So if you don't see it in the life of Jesus, then you have reason to question whether it's in God's heart. So, for example, when people say, well, I'm not sure God wants me to be well. Okay, well, let's take a look at Jesus. People who came to Jesus to get well, how many of them walked away sick? Zero. Okay, so I think from that we can probably understand that, well, God's will probably is. I mean, not only did he say that, not only did he make a way through Jesus, but Jesus modeled it, and then it happened afterwards as well. So Jesus is our perfect theology. And when you, you need to look at the Old Testament heading towards Jesus... And if you look through Jesus back at the Old Testament, that is the best, that two-directional thing is the best way to get a grasp of the Old Testament. So the law in the Old Testament, all the requirements that were set up were because estrangement came between us and God. Anyone who's been around church a while, anyone who's ever said yes to Jesus, hopefully you have some grasp of this. That estrangement, a gap came between us and God. And that was because we chose to do things our own way. And there is a consequence for that. There has to be a consequence for these things. I was explaining, someone came and asked me last week a particular question about the Old Testament. Thank goodness I was vaguely able to answer it. um, Because it's nothing like a given. But sometimes what we can do is we can not live our life according to the maker's instructions and then effectively blame the maker. People do it nearly everywhere I go. And obviously nobody in here, gosh, no. (laughs) So you buy a car and with that car comes an instruction manual. And the instruction manual gives you parameters within which that car is supposed to be used. Now, if you want, you can rag your 1.1L Fiesta across fields if that's what you want to do with it. You can take it uphill, down, dale. You know, it will last some time. Uh, I don't quite know. But then probably it will break down and bits of suspension will fall off. Yeah, that's because falls are rubbish. No, that's because you've just driven it in a way it was simply not designed to be driven. But yes, you can blame Ford for the rest of your life if you want. And the amazing thing is of the consequences of choosing to go our own way and the consequences of that sin meant that somebody needed to come and fulfill the law. The law needed satisfying because that's what justice looks like. The law needs satisfying. 
So that's where Jesus comes in. So we have the whole of the Old Testament for people to realize, I can't possibly live up to God's perfect standards. And God says, well, I can't lower my standards because I'm God. It's like it's literally I would be denying who I was. So instead, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to get a person to come and live in such a way that absolutely satisfies all the demands of the law. And then his right standing with me is going to get imputed to you. So that is what happened. This is why we need to understand the Old Testament. We need to look at the Old Testament through, through those eyes that say, I recognize that things are bad. I recognize that sin is severe. I recognize my desperate need of a savior. That's Old Testament, dumb. Suffering. Okay. Again, this is a year's teaching series. I'm about to condense into about six minutes. Yeah, exactly. The first thing to say is this. God is in charge, but not in control. Anyone who's a parent, you'll know this feeling. In theory, you're meant to be in charge. It often doesn't feel like you have much control. God is much the same way. Because we have free will, God does not want sons and daughters who he plays like puppet strings. I've said this so many times. I would not want Nick to have married me because her arm was up her back and she had no option. I want to be chosen because that's what love does. And don't you think the father wants to be chosen? Free will is one of the greatest gifts he ever gave us. But as we all know, with free will comes the risk that people will then use their free will in a way that's a little free. Therefore, because we have free will, there are things that happen in this world that are simply not God's plan. And we need to know this. Because I get pretty fed up, and largely now I've gone through fed up into more of an upset phase that people would think that Father God would do half the things that people think Father God would do. Like, who do you take him for? So God doesn't send bad stuff our way to teach us lessons. I want to get this established. Firstly, God doesn't send bad stuff our way. The bracket there is no accident. God doesn't send bad stuff our way in brackets to teach us lessons. I don't know how many people I have heard who've told me that God has brought them sickness to teach them a lesson. And then the redeemed version of that, semi-redeemed, is, well... He hasn't actually sent it to me, but is letting me stay with it because he just wants me to learn something. I just don't see that about God towards his kids. So some people say, well, God has made me ill so that then he can heal me. Is, is, that, is that good? And I, well, I don't think so. I mean, that's like me breaking my child's leg deliberately with a massive hammer and smashing the leg because I know I can then heal it. I mean, at some point, obviously, they would have some lessons to learn for at least, what, six months? 
and they'd have to be in traction and they'd have all those kind of issues. But, I mean, I sound really loving. But this is what people think God does. And I, and I, don't, I just don't understand it. one point, I did understand it. And if all it does is create a load of other issues, hang with those issues. So God's aim is that we learn many things in any situation. James, um, in the book of James, right at the end of the uh, New Testament, First Testament, what is the First Testament? Uh, And I'm deliberately going through it here. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So does God let trials come our way? Absolutely. And Jesus promised effectively to his disciples, he said, listen, you're going to have trouble in this world. You're in enemy territory. Oh, but God, they shot at me. You're in a war. Of course they shot at you. What do you think they're going to do? Ping jelly and ice cream at you? It's a war. We were born into a war zone. We are in occupied territory. And then people say, they sometimes use this verse, all things work together for the good of those who love him. And that's the excuse for, that's why I've been through this sickness and everything else. Absolutely, God is able to make all things work together for the good of those who love him. But that's a far cry from him sending stuff. Now, there is a testing, like we've just said, the testing of our faith. There absolutely is a testing. Do we see people who know Jesus get sick? Absolutely. And that is a testing, for sure, a testing of our faith. What's God got to say about this? In any situation, God is saying, what does this situation reveal about me? How can you lead into me in this situation? So there are, there are some things here that we need to get absolutely established. Firstly, that God doesn't have his way. We often think God has his way. I don't think God does have his way. And the example I often use, which seems a bit trite, but we are told to raise the dead. So that means there must have been some people dying who God didn't plan on being dead. Because he's telling us to raise them. He's telling us to heal the sick. So therefore, his plan can't be that people are sick, because if so, that would be double-minded. If he's telling us to heal the sick when he's actually wanting them sick or has made them sick, that's just stupid. And he is not that. So absolutely, we will have trouble. And Jesus said, you will definitely have trouble. But it's you cannot put this lens down. You cannot change this lens just because God, Jesus said to his disciples, you will have trouble, it doesn't mean that God isn't good. And he says, effectively, when the trouble comes, a few things. Firstly, I will give you everything you need to be able to stand up under that trial. And, he, and he, in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 Peter, he says about, I've given you my very great and precious promises. He says, I've given you everything you need. I've given you the Holy Spirit. I've given you authority. But God, my boat is rocking. I'm in a terrible storm. Jesus says, yeah, I've given you authority over the storm. Oh, well, I tried that once. 
I know that feeling, which segues us beautifully onto this unanswered prayer. Probably one of the most mysterious and often painful challenges that we'll face. So first of all, I want to tell you a quick story because I want you to know that there is never a situation that you'll find yourself in or a problem that comes your way for which God hasn't already thought of a redemptive solution for. Let me make this even simpler if you don't know what a redemptive solution is. There is no problem you're in that God can't get you out of. You never find yourself in a situation and you say, God, help. And he says this. I'm out. I've got any ideas, Gabriel? No. No, sorry. Sorry, son, you're on your own. We've, we're out up here. We've, yeah. Funny. It's a little bit funny. And yet we can so often believe that God is just a bit, his arm's a bit short. He's not very willing. He's a bit thin on ideas. But the story I want to tell you is this. <clears throat> Dear Richard Eason, many of you will know Richard. He had an accident on his bike yesterday. I've been given permission to tell this story. He is um, at home right now. We'll just wave at Richard. Uh, he's watching, <clears throat> watching on the live stream. And Richard was cycling down a hill in Chillum, and he skidded on some mud, came off, and he dislocated his shoulder and has pretty... Bad concussion. So um, that isn't the story. <laughs> just, just so you know, that's the context for the story. Now, what I found out later, and I'm just going to read this from my phone because I clarified the details. I don't like telling stories that I can't find the definite, did that really happen answer. So yesterday, I spoke to Francis a few times and I asked her to clarify something about a retired dentist. I had been told that within two minutes of Richard crashing his bike in the middle of nowhere with their grandson um, behind him on another bike, I had been told that a retired dentist had come along and taken Richard to hospital. That's what I was told yesterday, and I just wanted to clarify. So I said this morning, is it deaf the case that the retired dentist came along two minutes after the crash. It helps for my talk. So, like, you know. She said, this is Francis, totally. Plus another guy riding his bike with medical training turned up at the same time and knew what to do, not to do with his dislocated shoulder. The retired dentist took Richard to the hospital and then the other guy just happened to be biking to Canterbury, so biked with our grandson to hospital to make sure he was okay. Okay, that's a coincidence. Um, but the thing is this, this, this really blew my mind this morning. Not that those people came along two minutes later. The retired dentist obviously has some medical training and, thank God, had a car and was able to take Richard. And yes, of course, the medical expertise person who happened to be coming along on the bike. Do you know what the most amazing thing is? God... Huh, <laughs> this is how good he is. 
I'll see if I can get through it. God was already working on the solution before Richard had even fallen off his bike. Do you see that? That retired dentist, that medical person who happened to come to the same place at the same time, God was already working on the solution and Richard was still on his bike. Isn't that amazing? That's what he's like. So don't ever think that you're in a situation that catches God out. You can't be in a situation that catches him out. He's already probably started work on the solution. So why don't we see answered prayer? There's a number of reasons given in the Bible. Sometimes we pray amiss, not in line with his will. I'll come back to that as well. Sometimes we're mistreating people. It says in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, about if sometimes your prayers aren't answered because you're not treating people properly. Sometimes it's not the right time. That is absolutely true. It is a pretty complex job for God, as you will again have noticed if you watched Evan Almighty, when he has all these prayer requests come into his computer, and then he decides he's just going to say yes to them all. Yes, 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 like this. It's very chaotic. But the amazing thing is, God is working on so many levels and so many layers at once that we can't see those levels and layers. So God is trying to orchestrate other things, get things in place. God might be looking to answer it in a different way. He might be getting some other stuff ready. He might be waiting for us to be positioned differently. So, for example, God had the solution for when the Israelites were taken out of Egypt. He said, I've got you your promised land, but they couldn't get to the answer because they're moaning. And so a whole generation had to pass before they could get into their promised land. There is something definitely, I'm not really going into moaning, but there is something definitely about moaning that um, just cuts us off. It's just that lack of gratitude. Sometimes he is letting us be tested or tempted. And obviously his promise will never be tested beyond what we can bear. But that is to find a load of excuses. Ah, that's why God didn't answer my prayer. Well, firstly, what do you mean God didn't answer your prayer? According to my Bible and according to the God I know, there isn't a prayer I can pray that doesn't warm his heart. So we can never say God didn't answer my prayer. Sometimes a prayer is like you're trying to smash a dam, like a massive dam, you know, with all the water behind it, the big, thick concrete things, and you've got your little pebble. Sometimes it's going to take more than one pebble. But you have no idea of the ripples in the wall, in the concrete that are being caused by your one pebble and you're another one, and another one, and another one, and another one. And then someone says, I'll help you out. I've got a bigger stone here. I'll start throwing this one. But I try to never say, God didn't answer my prayer, or God is not answering my prayer, or whatever. Because this is the point. We so often talk as uh, Christians, people in churches, people trying to follow Jesus, about how God didn't answer our prayer. There's so much more answering than there is unanswering. There's so much answering available. And we spend so much time camped out in disappointment from the last time our prayer wasn't answered that we forget to ask again. I can't handle a disappointment. I asked last time. I prayed for someone before and they just got worse. Well, obviously then, God isn't good. I'll just change my lens. One moment. I just need to change it to the 
God is fickle and you can't really predict him lens. God is good. And if he says, pray for the sick and you'll see them recover, then I'm going to press in until I see that happen. Do I struggle with disappointment? Of course I do. I hardly know anyone who doesn't. But this, this is the key. We talk about unanswered, but Jesus says this. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and doesn't doubt, but believes that what he says in his heart happens, it will be done for him. It doesn't even say might. It doesn't say it will be done for him if God's in the right mood. Therefore, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Yeah, yeah, I I, I know, Chris, but I mean, I've prayed for people, and I mean, I've commanded the mountain into the sea, and it, it it didn't really work for me. Well, so what you can do if you want, is um, I can lend you some tipex and just get rid of that bit in your Bible. I mean, it's, 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 the, it's the easiest way. We just delete the bits that we think don't really work and, and, and then we just get left with sort of some insipid thing in the middle. <laughs> Jesus says in John 15, he says to his disciples, he says, whatever you ask for in my name, I'm going to give it to you. Just ask for any, anything in my name. So what is in my name? Well, it means... On, on, on behalf of, it means in my stead, in my place. I think God is willing and ready to answer a whole bunch of prayers that we just haven't even prayed yet. He says, I'm just waiting for you to ask. Yeah, but God, some of them are crazy. Yeah, try me. Let's have some fun. And it's so tempting to create a new theology. When we don't see God's prayers, our prayers answered, we don't see God answer a prayer, that's what I meant to say. When we don't see a prayer answered, we create a theology over, this is why this wasn't answered. I wasn't facing the right way when I asked it on a Tuesday. He doesn't answer them on a Tuesday. That's my new theology, because I prayed on a Tuesday once, and my prayer didn't get answered. Oh, well, let's create a theology out of that. And and if you want an answer to prayer, wait till Wednesday, and make sure you wear your lucky T-shirt. No, 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 this kind of thing. We joke, or I'm purposely making light of it. This is exactly what we do. And we make a theology out of it. Everyone who was sick who came to Jesus got well. Therefore, everyone who's sick who comes to Jesus now should get well. If we are seeing people sick and they're coming to Jesus, or maybe vicariously they're coming to us, because like what you know him, right? Can you pray for me? No, no, no. I prayed for them. They've stayed sick. The fault, the problem is not with him. The problem is with us. Now, that doesn't mean it's our fault. It doesn't mean we have been naughty. It doesn't mean we've displeased God. It doesn't mean any of that. It means God has made clear what his will is. He's given us his Holy Spirit. He's given us his authority. He's given us the commission to go and do this stuff. If we're not seeing it, then God, do something in me that means we see the things. God, there's a, I see what your word says. I see what your will is. I see what your desire is. And you've left it to me. And now look what's happened. Please do something in me that means no one else ever has to die of cancer again. Or there never has to be another stillbirth again. Or something. God, just do something in me. Because I know it's not that you're not willing. I love this quote. We've got to finish.
There's a great quote from a guy called Callistos Ware. He's English, actually, but he um, doesn't sound it. Um, Eastern Orthodox bishop. And he says these things. There are those times when we can only embrace mystery and know that he is good. It's not the task of the Christian to provide easy answers to every question, but to make us progressively aware of a mystery. And then this line, God is not so much the object of our knowledge as the cause of our wonder. He's not the object of our knowledge. He is the cause of our wonder. And I know that for many of you in here, I know many of you here, I know many stories, I know many of the things that are going on in your lives and the things that you haven't told me. Which God did. No, he didn't. He didn't. Don't, don't panic. I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But listen, the point is this. We need to wrap up. The point is this. I would urge you to look at everything through the God is good lens. Sometimes, as we say, there are just realities and entities that surround a problem that we just haven't yet learned how to dismantle. And if you're still battling through some sickness, some illness, mental, physical, psychosomatic, I don't care, it's irrelevant. I want you to know two things. Number one, God is absolutely good. It's not his fault. He loves you. He adores you. He's frankly obsessed with you. He delights in you. He enjoys you. He wants to walk through this with you. That's number one. And number two, please know we will not give up praying for you. Keep coming. Please keep coming. Keep asking to be prayed for. We know how hard it is when you get prayed for something. I've got an unusual eye condition. It's no biggie. It just means that my corneas um, become slightly conical because they overgrow. I've had that since I was about 12 or 13. I don't know how many times I've been prayed for. And do you know what? Sometimes people offer to pray for my eyes and everything in me says, I can't go through the disappointment again. I just can't handle the disappointment again. And I make myself and I say, he's good. Why not now? Why not here? Why not me today? So we have got to finish. I've terribly overrun. But what I would love, to, what I would love you to do is please, please don't shoot off. If you want some prayer, there's going to be a few of us here. Just come and find someone. We would love to pray with you. And we will keep praying with you. And we will keep praying with you. And in the mystery and in the not knowing and in the not understandings, we'll hang on to knowing that he's really good. Okay, let's stand um, literally 20 seconds and then you've got to go and grab your kids. Only grab your own kids. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, Father, you are good. And in the mystery and the unknowns and the disappointments, We've all prayed for things, God, and not seen them answered. And yet your word makes it absolutely clear. Just pray the stuff and I will answer it. But it's just not always our experience. But God, we don't put our experience above who you are. We bring our experience and it kneels at who you are. And God, that's what we want to do. We bring our disappointment, our embarrassment, our shame, our anything else. And that can all kneel under you are good. Thank you, God.
Thank you for listening to Numa Sunday's podcast. For more information, go to numachurch.uk where you can find more ways to connect with us. Have a great week and remember you're loved.